do hard things for Jesus because it is so worth it. It is so worth it. And especially when fear comes, that's the perfect time to say yes to the Lord. Well, welcome to the Decision Point podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hobson, president of Decision Point, where our mission is to proclaim the gospel to the next generation till every student has heard. You know, a lot of people today talk about living for God, and it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it, isn't it? Well, we want to be a generation that doesn't just talk about living for God. We want to be a generation that actually meaningfully lives for him. We want to be a generation of people, of leaders who will put our whole lives on the altar as a reasonable sacrifice and service for the Lord. And now to help us with that today, we're going to ask a few questions. Uh, What would make a couple guys 300 years ago decide to become slaves so they could reach slaves with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, What would make a small church uh, fleeing persecution in their home country launch a 24-7 round-the-clock prayer meeting that actually lasted 100 years? And what can we learn from their example and how can we live lives with that kind of devotion in our lives today? That's what today's episode is all about. Well, we believe God loves to use young people. You know, Paul told Timothy, let no one look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and faith and purity. And we also believe that young people need someone that they can look up to, someone who can be an example for them. Well, I hope you've been enjoying these podcasts. I mean, it's been so fun to be with you guys. You know, every week we're going to bring you different types of content. We're going to have interviews with students like Natalie. We'll have great guests like Brad Dacus. We'll have challenging messages from the Bible, from passages like Daniel 1 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And today we're going to do something a little different. Uh, It's story time today. And our story today reminds us of the incredible ways that God loves to use young people. And I pray will be a huge encouragement to all the young people listening today, living lives all out for the Lord. And our story today starts with a young man named Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas Zinzendorf, to be precise. And he was born in the year 1700 in Germany. Now, Nick was a a nobleman. We'll call him Nick today just to keep it short, right? And Nick was a a nobleman by blood, and he grew up in a wealthy home. Uh, It it said that if the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 is the rich young ruler who said no to the high cost of following Jesus, Nicholas grew up to be the rich young ruler who said yes. You see, early on, uh, Nicholas set as his life motto this principle. He said, I have only one passion. It is Jesus, Jesus only. You know, it seems in our lives, there can be moments when God just really gets a hold of our hearts. And when Nicholas was a teenager, he had one of these moments. And it was actually in a type of setting that we might not expect. It was when he was looking at a piece of art, a piece of art that depicted Jesus being crucified for our sins. And Nicholas, as a young teenager, was just mesmerized by it. He was transfixed. One author put it like this. He stared at that painting for many hours. And as he did, he saw the blood dripping from every wound. And at the bottom of the painting were etched the words, all this I did for you. What have you done for me? (laughs) Wow. Well, the story goes that Nicholas actually fell to his knees sobbing and with all his heart promised the rest of his life to serve the one who had done all of this for him. 
Nicholas didn't just have a powerful moment that day. He went out to live the life that God was calling him to live. He soon developed a strong prayer life that flowed from this love and devotion for Jesus. Uh, He soon began developing prayer groups among his friends. I don't know what everybody else was doing as a teenager at that time in Germany, but Nicholas was starting prayer groups. In fact, when he graduated from college at the age of 16, yeah, people graduated from college at the age of 16 back then, he handed to his professor a list of seven prayer groups that he had started. I mean, can you believe that? Talk about leaving a legacy. And it just reminds me of the impact that so many Decision Point students are having around the country, and we pray soon around the world in their schools today. Well, Nicholas also soon helped a group of friends at a nearby school start a group that they called, uh, you can name your club this if you want to, the Order of the Mustard Seed. Yep, you heard that right, the Order of the Mustard Seed. But they viewed, that might be an interesting name to us, but they viewed this as a kind of spiritual order of knighthood. See, together they pledged uh, their sacred honor to one another, not to live for their own honor or gain, but for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had three guiding principles, to be true to Christ, to be kind to people, and to take the gospel to the nations. Not a bad set of guiding principles. Well, a couple years later, 1722, at the age of 22, Nick gets married. And there's probably no way that on his wedding day, he could have imagined the ways that the Lord would put his commitment to the test that very year, or the ways that the God would soon begin working in surprising ways to fulfill his purpose for Nicholas' life. You see, that very year, as a newlywed man, Nicholas had a few refugees who were fleeing persecution in their home country arrive at his estate seeking help and a safe place to stay. Uh, These believers were from Moravia, which is in the modern-day Czech Republic, where I once lived while my family served there as missionaries. Now, with Nicholas' blessing, and, and I hope the blessing of his wife, soon this small community grew to actually over 30 families and over 200 people. I mean, imagine you're a newlywed couple and you're in, you're in your young 20s and you're suddenly responsible for a group of that size fleeing persecution in their homeland and seeking to settle a community on your property. I mean, these guys are have a lot going on. Well, they called this group Hernhut, which in German means the watch of the Lord. And one of their theme verses is this. I love this verse. Listen to this. Isaiah 62, verse 6 to 7. It says this, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Well, that's just what this group soon began to do, to give God no rest until he established his kingdom through the preaching of the gospel in all the corners of the earth. Now, a couple years go by, now it's the summer of 1727, five years after the community was formed, God sent a a revival to their church. Uh, on, On May 12th, they signed a contract with one another, which they called the Brotherly Agreement, where they dedicated their lives to serve the Lord. Then on July 22nd, they covenanted together that they'd meet often for prayer and for worship. And then on August 13th, after Nicholas preached a sermon on the cross of Christ and the glory of the Lamb, 
Uh, By all accounts, the Holy Spirit visited them in a powerful way. Over the next five days, get this, the revival was so powerful that the youth prayed together at church until one in the morning. The youth did. Uh, Then they went singing through the villages to their homes, prompting some of the mothers to scold them to keep it down. We're trying to sleep around here. And hey, just a word to any mothers out there. Listen, if the problem that you have is that your son or your daughter is being too zealous for the Lord and they're making a bit of a ruckus for Jesus, you know, not, not a bad problem to have in the grand scheme of things, right? Well, one author put it like this. The revival continued so much that on August 23rd, like 10 days into this, now I've lost track of the dates. You probably have too, but it says this, there was such a spirit of prayer that gripped the boys and the girls in the community that no one could listen to them without being moved to the heart. It's just, I think, a great reminder that there's just nothing more energizing than seeing young people with hearts on fire for God. Uh, it kept going on August 26th. Nicholas and the Moravians felt the Lord speaking to them from Leviticus 6.13 that the fire should never go out on the altar. And so they launched a 24-7 prayer meeting with 24 men, 24 women committed to pray for one hour a day around the clock. And as this continued over the next few years, the Lord did something uh, pretty unexpected. See, in June 1731, Nick was attending the coronation of the King of Copenhagen. You know, as a fella does, you just go and be there and celebrate as a king's getting crowned, you know, like like you did this summer, right? Well, okay, Nicholas was a nobleman. He rolled that way. Maybe you and I aren't watching kings get coronated, but he did. And while he was there, he met a slave from the West Indies named Anthony Ulrich. And Nicholas was so moved by what he had to share that he invited him to come back to the church at Hernhut and share his story. The story goes that Anthony pleaded with the group saying, oh, that someone would go and share the gospel with my sister in St. Thomas. He shared his sincere hope that if somebody would go and bring the gospel to his sister and her fellow slaves in the West Indies, that many of them would give their lives to Jesus. But he wasn't playing games. He warned them. He cautioned them. And he said, you know, uh, the slaves are under such severe conditions from their slave masters that unless somebody's willing to go and work among the slaves as a slave, they'll have little chance or opportunity to bring the gospel to the slaves But even with that word of caution, the Moravians wasted no time in answering the call. You see, in August, just two months after their paths first crossed with Anthony, John Dober and David Nitchman were commissioned by the church for missions to the West Indies. Uh, They made their way from Germany to Copenhagen. Uh, They boarded a, a, a Dutch ship bound for the West Indies. And you can only imagine the scene, their friends there, their families there weeping, as they're saying their farewell. And as the ships pulled away from the harbor, John and David called out from the ship in a loud voice, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. I mean, (laughs) wow. I mean, those parting words soon became a rallying cry for the Moravian Brethren Church. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. This became a motto. It became an emblem for the, they put it on their, their coat of arms, if you will, as a church. 
And that, that rallying cry taken from Isaiah 53, that God is giving to the crucified Lord Jesus an inheritance of the nations, uh, so moved them, along with the example of John David, that many other Moravians went out and became missionaries as well. Over the next decade, more than 70 Moravian missionaries were sent out And over the next two decades, one mission expert claims that the Moravians sent out more missionaries in two decades than all the Protestant churches of Europe had sent out in two centuries combined. The Moravian missionaries went all over the world. They went to the Arctic. I mean, who goes to the Arctic? They also went all the way down to Southern Africa. They ministered to the natives in North America. They made it all the way to China, to India, to Persia, to modern-day Algeria. And these guys had a huge impact everywhere they went. Get this. 50 years after they first arrived in the West Indies, the Moravians had seen over 13,000 people be baptized. They saw churches planted in the islands of St. Thomas, St. Croix, Jamaica, Antigua, Barbados, and St. Kitt. Uh, They even had a huge impact on the spiritual shaping of our own country, of America. Uh, Nicholas himself came to the colonies in North America, and he helped establish churches in Philadelphia and New York. Uh, The Moravians had a profound impact on John Wesley, who went on to be a leader in the First Great Awakening that shook America. But their impact was also long-lasting. You see, in like 1743, just tell you one more story about these guys before we ask, what does this have to do with us? The Moravians settled a community in North Carolina. And true to their Moravian uh, brethren fashion, they started a 24-7 prayer chain there as well. Fully 65 years later, after that community was formed, the Cherokee tribe in that region of America was forced to move to Oklahoma. Uh, And the Moravians continue to answer the call. You see, as over 60,000 Native Americans walked what became known as the Trail of Tears, uh, many Moravian missionaries were there to walk right beside them. Uh, It's tragically reported that over 4,000 Cherokees died from the harsh conditions along the road. But no surprise that hundreds of them gave their lives to Christ as they saw Moravians who had no need to be there walking with them every step of the way, sharing with them the hope of Jesus Christ. So, so what led this group of people to live such lives of devotion? And what does this have to do with us? Well, let me share with us a few closing thoughts. First off, behold the Lamb. Jesus was crucified for you. Um, What will you do for him? Count Zinzendorf was so captivated by that question as a teenager, it shaped the trajectory of his life and in turn helped shape the trajectory of missionaries who shook the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's be people that are so captivated by that as well. God is giving Jesus the nations as his inheritance, as the reward of his sufferings. Will you join him in rescuing people for Christ's sake with your life? Second, We want to be a people who will take no rest and give God no rest until he establishes his kingdom on earth through the preaching of the gospel. 
I mean, what a challenging word from Isaiah 62. Take no rest and give God no rest. This has challenged me even this week with our team, our staff across the country at Decision Point to say we got to pray more together uh, to ask God for all that we need for his purposes and beg him for him to bring an awakening in our country and give us everything that we need along the way. My challenge for you is let's be people committed to radical prayer. doesn't have to be 24-7, but it ought to be costly and real, a way to manifest that in our lives. Third, uh, I think this story reminds us of the value and the importance and even the necessity of living your life by a costly creed. Unless there is some rule guiding you that calls you to sacrificial costly, almost seemingly crazy service to Christ, I think you're missing out. I love the t-shirt that said, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. (laughs) And what a great mindset. If we're not living on the edge for the Lord, we're just taking up too much space. Uh, Nicholas Zinzendorf said it like this. He said, I have but one passion. It is he. It is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world. And henceforth, that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. Uh, My friends, the Lord has given us so many rules in the Bible, so many high callings, so many principles to live by. Let's live by those. And I'd also encourage you to check back to episode one or in the show notes below to see the decision point pledge and consider making this part of your covenant for your life uh, before the Lord and even with fellow believers, uh, your friends at your school, friends in your youth group before the Lord. And final thought, let's not underestimate the ways that God wants to use young people. For all the young people listening, I hope you know we believe in you. Decision Point is a team, and we're here to serve you, to help you. Uh, We have churches and staff and supporters and, and friends all over the country that believe that God wants to use you greatly. Don't underestimate what God will do in young people's lives, and young people don't underestimate what God does want to do through your life today. Nicholas Zinzendorf, when he saw that painting in Germany, when he graduated college at 16, when he got married at 22, could have never imagined the way that God would use him to launch a global missions movement that literally spanned the world for centuries to come. We may not see God use us in that way, but I believe that God wants to use each and every one of you for his highest purposes, for his honor and glory. So let's stay focused on his purposes. Let's stay humble and let's see what God would do through us as well. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Heather Barnes. You're not going to want to miss her story and her encouragement. So stay with us. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I'm so excited. We're joined today in the studio by Heather Barnes. Heather helps provide leadership to our whole organization and all of our ministry uh, at campuses across the country. Heather, welcome. Thanks. Excited to be here. Hey, it's so fun to have you. I know. Let's get going. Well, we've got a great show. We've been talking today about living uh, for God's purposes and being leaders who are focused on God's purposes. We've been even looking back in history at some leaders that went all in. Uh, to reach people with the gospel. And we'd just love to hear your story. 
you were have been a leader uh, since a young age who's been passionate about reaching people with the gospel. I, I'd love to just hear your story. What are, I guess, what are some ways that God worked in your life as a student to help you be a leader focused on God's purposes? Yeah. So in high school, God really broke my heart for the lost more than ever before. And it was from realizing, wow, the gospel has just transformed my life. My peers do not know Jesus. They absolutely need him. And when I looked around, many just didn't even know how to know God. (laughs) So they needed to know. And I was just compelled that Jesus obviously is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And it was really God challenging me, Heather, have faith. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, can't I change the lives of the people around right, you? Right. So, um, but you talk about high school. Um, you you got in trouble in elementary school, didn't you? I mean, you were, you've been yeah. sharing Jesus since a young age. You got busted. Can you want to tell us about yeah, that story about getting yeah. busted? So in first grade, I had a friend that was a Muslim and we were, had lockers next to each other. So as a first grader, I was like, well, he doesn't know Jesus. How can I share? Wrote some Bible verses, put it on a pad of paper, gave it to him, shared, you know, two sentences of how God loves him. Next day, over the intercom, Heather Barnes, come to the principal's office <laughs> and uh, got reprimanded for sharing Bible verses. Wow, that's intense, man. You were you were in trouble with the law from a young age. <laughs> Way to go. Okay, so you had this burden. You're, you're sharing Christ even with a Muslim friend at first grade. Uh, at the first grade level, have a burden in high school. How did you go from having a burden to being equipped to actually do something about it? Yeah, my junior year of high school, that's really when it was a pivotal moment for me. So I had a problem as a Christian student. I really wanted to make a big impact for Jesus as a teenager. And I really wanted to make my high school years count, just like any other Christian high school student would. But one, I felt a little under challenged. I was like, there must be more. And then two, I really didn't know the opportunity before me. So that was my problem. And it wasn't until I got to actually join Decision Point and catch a bigger vision of what is possible and become a Decision Point leader that I realized all God could do on my campus. So I hear the vision first and I'm hearing, Heather, you could not only lead an outreach event at your school during lunch or after school, you could give everybody the chance to hear the gospel on campus. And I just didn't know that was possible. I almost thought they were kidding. (laughs) And so when I heard that, I was like, one, wow, this is amazing. Two, I grabbed that student leader guide, read every page that night, so eager to see what God could do. And my eyes were really opened to what was possible. It was in that moment that my mission field that felt impossible actually became possible. So I felt supported. I felt empowered. I didn't feel alone as much, which was such a big deal. And my youth pastor had my back. My decision point coach had my back. And I actually got this simple game plan that was feasible, but with a big enough vision of what God could do at my campus. I mean, it's nice when, I mean, Jesus called the disciples to a big vision, but then he spent three years training them, equipping them so that they would actually be the kind of leaders after being filled with the spirit to actually go yeah. out and do the things he was challenging us to do. It's it's easy to, I think, in leadership to miss either one of those components, either failing to challenge students to a big vision mm-hmm. or failing to then equip them with a game plan to go do what we're calling them to do or what Jesus is calling them to do. And it's mm-hmm. so great to hear how they, okay, so tell us, uh, take us back a few years, mm-hmm. uh, high school, not far from here, when you yeah. started 
sharing Christ at your school? Mm -hmm. How did you see God at work through you and through your peers as you were banding together to go do something big at your high school for the Lord? Yeah. So as a decision point leader, I got equipped in how to share my faith for the first time. I didn't know how to clearly, concisely, with conviction, share the gospel. And so that unleashed just a love for evangelism that I didn't even know was totally like there. I obviously at a young age wanted to share, but the ability to articulate faith so clearly and concisely was just eye-opening to me. And it was then junior year that I decided to take the Lead and Outreach Week Challenge which was the biggest risk I took because it never been done at my school. I didn't see any example of that. So this is a new thing, big step of faith. I'm outgoing, but this was even outside my comfort zone. <laughs> so Outside of your outgoing comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. So it was through leading an outreach week, that biggest step of faith that God really grew me as a leader um, is one thing. And then second, I saw the power of the gospel at work. So real quick, how he grew me as a leader, um, it was through taking that big step of faith that was uncomfortable and trusting God for bigger things that right away the Lord pruned me of idols in my life as a teenager, you know, not really seeking to um, please others, but please God and realizing it's not going to be my ability that takes it and saves people. God's the only right, one can save right. people. Um, so growing as a leader was huge, huge there. And it was a pivotal point that really unleashed me to live more boldly. Um, but seeing the gospel at work, there's just nothing like it. So I was reading the Bible, you know, in youth group and small group, but then I was seeing the Bible happen at my school. So I got to lead an outreach week on campus, got to personally get up in front of a mix of people. I mean, everyone from the outcast to the basketball players were in the room, got to share the gospel, share my testimony. And before my eyes, I'm seeing people make decisions to follow Jesus for the first time and then come back the next day. And, and want to know more. And want to know more. And so everything from seeing one guy specifically that I passed a flyer to, he came, received Christ, came to my church, got discipled by my dad, to other girls that came to the event that were so curious because of the gospel message they had not heard clearly. I got to sit with them at Starbucks and just walk through grace and truth. One just figured out she was pregnant for the first mm. time that week, and she heard the gospel that week. Wow. So it was just before my eyes, I was like, wow, the gospel is not only the best news ever, it can change lives. And I don't have to go halfway across the world on a mission trip to see the gospel at work. If you want to see the gospel at work, start sharing it. That's amazing. Um, so then it all stopped there, right? I mean, you saw God <laughs> no. at work at, at your high school and thought, that's good. One's enough. Move on. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't stop there. Um, and God was just going before us. I'd never been a part of something that it's so clear that God is in this. Like everything before, you know, was a taste of what could be. But this was just an evident move of God's spirit. So I had a burden one, why did I hear about this as a junior in high school and not a seventh grader? I could have been actually sharing the gospel with my whole school since seventh grade. And so there was this ache in my heart of where are the hundreds of thousands of other Christian students like me across the country that are waiting for this opportunity? So I had a super big burden for Chicago, my city, of course, to see this expand so much so that first year I met the Christian club leader of the high school next to me, challenged her to do the outreach week with me. 
So it started at two schools and then progressed from there and more students got on board. But I just knew if students could be informed and equipped, they would really take advantage of this opportunity. And so deep in my heart, I was like, Lord, who's going to go tell them? Who's going to, you know, give them this opportunity? What if they're just waiting for people to come alongside, say, I believe in you. God can use you as a teenager. You're not too young. Um, have a role in God's mission to to really. So tell us just. I mean, it, it went from one school to two mm-hmm. schools to four schools to twelve. I mean, you guys as high school students were were not just reaching your school; you were igniting the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just exciting to see it just continue to snowball. Um, when students would hear the story of, wow, you know, at Elgin High School there were six hundred students that heard the gospel in one day, and that was the day that a gang fight broke out, and there was just. It was the supernatural work of Jesus, you know, bringing the gospel where it needed to go. So it was fun to see it spread like wildfire in students' hearts. So that has to be exciting. You you see 600 people come to hear the gospel two days in a row at a high school 20 minutes from yours and to know that God used you to help inspire students um, at these other schools to do what they're doing. that That's just got to be fun, huh? It's a wild ride. Like, I just tell Christian leaders, like, you want to be in something fun. You want to be in something adventurous. Get all in for the mission of Jesus. It's, it's well, so it, worth it's it. It's fun when you see God using you, but also seeing the results in a way that you know, well, that's not me. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's not even my co-leaders as great as yeah. they all are. It's God yeah. doing something yeah. here. But you, you, as this was all expanding into mm-hmm. spreading into more schools, you started praying some big prayers mm-hmm. uh, as a high school student. Can you mm-hmm. tell us about that? Yeah. So I had a burden at that time, decision point. We're only, or we were in the first launch city, which was LA at the time. I was in Chicago and I realized, well, this just needs to be in Chicago. There's just no doubt about it. I like just, really in Chicago. Really in yeah. Chicago. Like there needs to be staff there. There needs to be a team. There needs to be an opportunity for churches to get on board, students to get on board and something to happen in Chicago. So I was on a plane ride back from California to uh, my hometown, Palatine, Illinois. And I just prayed. I said, Lord, like you can do this. I know you can do this. I can't, but you got to do a miracle to bring this ministry um, to Chicago for the long term. And if you do, I will serve and however you call me to, but you got to do it. And so it was the gutsiest prayer I'd ever prayed, you know, even just throwing it out there, kind of like a Hail Mary to to God (laughs) of, okay, you got to do it, God. But then I put myself on the line too and didn't realize how much that would would mean. And then one year later, God did just that. And it was such a joy to get to join the launch team when you and your family moved out here um, to Chicago and and have gotten to be a part of it well, since. What a fun story. I'll never forget the day we had already decided to move out here as a family to help provide leadership to the mission and then find out, oh, you'd been praying for God to bring the mission out since you were 16, 17. I thought, oh, well, that's that. this will be a fun ride. And mm-hmm. what a great role you've had in the ministry here in Chicago and across the country and a uh, great role in our family's life and our kids' lives. So thanks so much for that. Heather, thanks so much for being here yeah. with us today. It's just great to see how God's used you since a, such a young age and how he's continuing to use you to reach students for Christ and raise up a generation of courageous leaders for the Lord. Um, love to just give you the final word of today's episode. What encouragement would you have to students listening today? Yeah, my encouraging word would be do hard things for Jesus because it is so worth it. It is so worth it. And especially when fear comes, that's the perfect time to say yes. 
to the Lord. When fear comes. When fear comes. And <laughs> not exactly, if. not if, but when fear comes, it's the perfect time to say yes to the Lord because courage is doing something while you're afraid. It's not when the fear leaves and going to do some bold thing for Jesus. So um, it's just so worth it. Obviously, rely on the Holy Spirit. Right. Be fed by God's word. Right. Be fueled by prayer yep. and obviously focused on God's purposes. But do the hard thing for Jesus. It's worth it. Amen. Well, thanks for being a leader that uh, embodies all of that. Uh, great to have you with us. Friends, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, I hope this episode uh, was a help to you as you continue to be a leader who stands for Christ, lives for Christ, witnesses for Christ, and endures hardship for his name because he's worth it. Hey, make sure you check out the Lead and Outreach Week Challenge. Go to decisionpoint.org outreach to learn how you can lead an outreach like Heather led at her school. Continue praying big prayers because God wants to do big things through you. And join us next week. Uh, we are going to be hearing from Barnaby Lee uh, about what God is doing through bold students who are fearlessly sharing the gospel in high schools all over the San Francisco Bay Area. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, their testimonies will encourage us all and even provide real examples of practical ways that we can share Christ in our lives as well. So you're not going to want to miss that. In the meantime, uh, subscribe, follow, rate, review, share the episode with others, listen with a friend, and let's keep living lives focused on God's purposes because he's worth it. <music>